Hello, everyone. As you probably already know, we are at the start of a hiatus as we prepare for the launch of our 10th season, 10th season this fall. But we are not leaving you high and dry. We are going to be re-releasing some oldies back from our catalog for you to enjoy, and today's show is one of our earliest episodes of A Little Curious, our short-form series. And this one ties in nicely to our previous season that we just ended on Cursed Art. We discussed Edvard Munch as part of that season, so we are hearkening back to the very first Art Curious mention of Munch, right here with the potentially disastrous inspiration behind Munch's most famous painting. That is coming up next, right here, after this quick break. I just recently finished a build onto our house, so I have this amazing new screen porch. And now I am looking for that one special something that will pull it all together and make it a place that I super love to spend time in. And that's why I'm looking at Woodstock Chimes. Woodstock Chimes adds an artful touch to your garden or your patio, and they're also lovely accents for indoor rooms as well. You hang them near an open window in the summer, and you'll hear this beautiful music when the breezes blow. This company offers chimes that are tuned to various melodies and musical scales, and each one is different and delightful. They have beautiful decorative chimes, wind bells, gongs, fountains, and sun catchers to help you create these beautiful tranquil spaces in your home, and a line of personalized chimes that are laser engraved with your own messages prior to shipping. All of them make amazing gifts. You can listen to sound samples on their website, and you'll even find wonderfully large, deep tone chimes that make a huge statement for your gazebo or your entryway. And I would love for you to try one for yourself. Listeners to this podcast can get 15% off now by going to chimes.com and using the promo code ARTCURIOUS. That's chimes.com, promo code ARTCURIOUS. Woodstock Chimes, the world's favorite wind chime. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by BetterHelp. There have truly been times in my life where I've needed some assistance to figure out what I wanted from life and how to find the happiness I deserved. And that's why I turned to BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is here to help you too. With BetterHelp, a professional can assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist with whom you can begin communicating in less than 48 hours. And it is so convenient because you can connect from wherever you are in a safe and private online environment, and you can message, call, or video chat with your therapist, all instead of commuting somewhere and sitting uncomfortably in a waiting room. And BetterHelp also makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. Whether you're looking for help with depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, LGBT matters, self-esteem, or anything, and you don't have to limit yourself to someone who works near your home. Believe me, I've used BetterHelp and it is so easy, and I loved my counselor I connected with. And even if I didn't, it would have been so easy and free to change counselors if I wanted. It's confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. And financial aid is available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely. And check this out. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. 
As an Art Curious listener, you're important to me. And so I want you to start living a happier life today. By visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling by visiting betterhelp.com slash artcurious. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's at betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash artcurious. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm just keep it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Possibly second to the Mona Lisa as the world's most iconic work of art, Edvard Munch's 1893 painting, The Scream, has been parodied and imitated everywhere from The Simpsons to Home Alone to, well, the Scream series of horror films. You are probably picturing it in your mind right now, a scene of a terrible skeleton-like figure, a man, or at least we think it is a man, with a mouth drawn down in an oval of fright and despair his hands framing his face. The entire image is an awful one, made even worse by the shocking swirl of expressionistic brushstrokes, creating a violent orange sky and a landscape empty beyond. So, not a happy painting, but one that has long been the single work of art to define Edvard Munch, a Norwegian painter most active in the late 19th century and one who has been an inspiration for artists for over a century. One of the things I love most is when I can hear an artist discuss his or her work of art personally. I want to learn and understand an artist's thoughts, inspirations, methods. About the scream, Monk wove a very famous tale about his personal take on this painting, which was inspired by his own experiences. A year before he completed the painting, Monk recorded an entry in his diary about an unusual occurrence he had experienced years before. He writes, quote, I was walking along the road with two friends. The sun was setting. I felt a wave of sadness, and the sky suddenly turned blood red. I stopped, leaned against the fence, tired to death, and looked out over the flaming clouds like blood and swords, the blue-black fjord and city. My friends walked on, but I stood there quaking with angst, and I felt as though a vast, endless scream passed through nature. This moment so struck Monk that he not only translated it into canvas multiple times over, as well as in prints, but he even wrote a poem about the incident, taking phrases nearly verbatim from this diary entry. It's almost like he needed to exercise the moment from his being through artistic inspiration, or that he needed to relive the crisis over and over again to understand or come to grips with it. But what does it mean? What happened to Monk that day on that road overlooking the fjord? The general interpretation throughout art history has been that the artist, in that specific moment he described in his diary, had some sort of existential break or a breakdown. At the very least, he had some kind of psychological event. Monk was always anxious and probably depressed, with an overall tone of despair evident in much of his work, so such an interpretation does make some sense. In addition, 
The vast, endless scream of nature could hit one almost like the theoretical sublime as envisioned by the philosopher Edmund Burke in the late 18th century, wherein the grandiosity of nature is so evident that mankind can only seem small in comparison and thus register the relationship as a kind of horror. All in all, this concept of a personal psychological problem is one of the reasons why this work is so starkly famous, so resonant with us even today. We can relate to this figure's distress and anxiety in the scream, even if we aren't experiencing his exact same mental state. In 2004, though, a new theory came to light to explain the mystery behind the scream and what it truly represents. In an issue of Sky and Telescope magazine, yep, for real, three researchers from the Texas State University posited that there was a logical and physical reason for this scream of nature. This isn't the first time that scientists have hoped to solve artistic mysteries using their own divergent backgrounds. And in fact, our very last episode of A Little Curious touched on this when we discussed the ongoing efforts of scientists, as well as art historians, to locate the fabled Battle of Anghiari painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And we also covered medical diagnoses of various figures in art history in one of our episodes from the first season. That's episode 18 if you want to listen in. In this case, though, the Texas scientists, and one English professor, focused solely on Monk's blood-red sky. And they said, that incredible stirring sunset? It was caused by an eruption of the fabled volcano of Krakatoa in Indonesia, which blew its lid on August 27, 1883. By the end of that year, the detritus, all that muck that was stirred up into the air from the explosion, had blown into Europe and far beyond. As the New York Times reported on November 28, 1883, the result was some of the most amazing sunsets of all time, and the article further reflected a scene that sounds staggeringly familiar. It reported, quote, Soon after five o'clock, the western horizon suddenly flamed into a brilliant scarlet, which crimsoned sky and clouds. People in the streets were startled at the unwanted sight and gathered in small groups on all corners to gaze into the west. Many thought that a great fire was in progress, unquote. A similar note was heralded, in fact, in a Norway paper just two days later, reading, quote, A strong light was seen yesterday and today around five o'clock to the west of the city. People believed it was a fire, but it was actually a red refraction in the hazy atmosphere after sunset, unquote. So what was it? Did Monk and his friends in their evening promenade happen upon this atmospheric anomaly? It's entirely possible, though Monk never confirmed the exact date or even year of this experience of that vast eternal scream. It could have happened in 1883 or early 84, when Norway, like much of the rest of the world, was experiencing those incredibly vivid twilights. But to me, even if this is the true experience that inspired Monk, it's only half the story. For me, that vivid blood red and orange background is startling and amazing, sure, but it's secondary to the figure, that screaming figure in the forefront. Think about it. This phenomenon brought on by the eruption of Krakatoa was witnessed over a period of months and by millions of people all over the world. It's natural that some of them might have been a little freaked out by what they saw, or at least a little nervous. Remember that people on both sides of the Atlantic thought that there was this huge fire just off of the horizon, for example. But in general, people moved on, and they even enjoyed the spectacular and strange beauty of these evenings. Not Monk. It's his reaction. That tiredness, that dizzy sensation, that break from his two walking companions, and finally, his experience of the scream of nature. 
the scream that would give its name to the painting and inspire its protagonist to scream too. That's why this painting stands the test of time and why it grips us even today. If it just was a simple scene reflecting the Krakatoa incident, I don't think we would feel so moved, so inspired, so terrible. It's the feeling and Monk's expression of those feelings that makes this work for me. For more stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history, listen to the Art Curious Podcast wherever you listen to your pods, or you can find us at artcuriouspodcast.com. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks for more bonus content for Art Curious. <laughs>